Beatrice B.B. Viela was a 19-year-old from San Antonio, Texas. She was a beautician who had hopes of moving to Chicago. On September 28, 1980, Beatrice allegedly met up with her boss to pick up supplies, then took them to his salon. Beatrice then left. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. I don't know if it was some kind of cosmic happening or coincidence, but as I was preparing this episode for all of you, I came across a statement that could certainly apply to today's disappearance. It said something to the effect that every young woman should be suspicious of any much older man who takes an interest in her that he doesn't really think she is mature for her age. In fact, if that young woman would talk to women that guy's age, she would find that they think he is immature for his age and that he, in actuality, is a bum and a predator. So true. Yet, young women fall for this type of guy all the time. The shoes, the jewelry, the trips and maybe even the cars and houses. But then the problems start. The control, the possession, the stalking. It's almost become a cliché at this point. Well, in the disappearance of Beatrice Viela, she was put in a tough position when her boss started doing the same to her. Then she was gone and we're left to decide if Beatrice disappeared due to her being a kept woman. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. Beatrice, for only being 19, was already doing a lot with her life. She had already gotten her beautician's degree and license. Beatrice had her own car and lived on her own. Her next step, Beatrice told people, was to move to Chicago, where her sister lived, to continue to broaden her horizons. And at the time of her disappearance, Beatrice actually had a ticket to fly there. But there were issues. The much older and married owner, Oscar, at the salon where Beatrice worked, had taken an overt interest in her, buying her lots of stuff. And yes, Beatrice was living on her own, but she was living in his condo. Not to mention, not long before she disappeared, Beatrice and this guy had a falling out, but they had allegedly patched things up. So, on September 28, 1980, According to Oscar, although 41 years later there is no proof he told the truth, 
Beatrice and he met up at a beauty supply place. They got what they needed and took them back to the salon. Oscar says Beatrice then left. She was never seen again. There were no signs of violence at the condo. Her car was found a month and a half later in an apartment complex less than a mile from where she lived. The investigators could not connect anyone there to Beatrice. However, residents said they had seen Beatrice there before. The car yielded no clues. By now, you know I call this type of disappearance a the-man-said scenario, wherein a guy tells a story about a missing woman that is suspicious, yet not physically impossible. The difference with Beatrice's, of course, is that she was seemingly the other woman. So how will that factor into your calculations as you try to answer these three questions? Number one, why in 1980 did investigators not verify Oscar's story about the beauty supply store? Number two, since residents of the apartment complex where her car was found said they saw Beatrice there before September 1980, are you open to a theory of someone other than Oscar being the best suspect? And number three, whether there was foul play or not, How should investigators, amateur or professional, go about moving this case forward? Beatrice's family has been conflicted over the past 41 years as to the cause of her disappearance due to one of their own marrying someone in Oscar's family. The guest for this episode, and he's appearing for the fifth time, is Anthony from Crime Blogger 1983, dot blogspot.com unfound news i hope you enjoyed and were surprised by this past monday's special edition of unfound where i interviewed john lorden if you've not listened to it yet it was wide ranging we talked about his background the current state of the true crime community and the fallout from his involvement in the Alyssa Lamb show on Netflix. Next, likewise, I hope you caught my appearance on John's channel on YouTube that came out last Friday, November 19th. We talked about the Steve Pankey trial, our impressions of why it ended in a hung jury, and what the future holds for that case. Once again, if you haven't watched it yet, please do so. Finally, I hope everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I certainly did. Hey, anytime I can just eat and do no cooking, it's always good. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on iTunes, Pandora, Audible, Podomatic, Spotify, iHeart, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Deezer, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us for the Unfound live show. Watch, ask questions, and give the show a thumbs up. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. This week, I need to thank Craig, Deidre, 
and Stacy. You can also contribute at PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. I also need to give a huge shout out to all the people who have monetarily contributed using the super chat during the live show on Wednesday nights. Thank you for watching and thank you for donating. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com or you can track down my assistant Heather in the Facebook group. Playing cards at makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfoundpodcast. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy once again to have on an episode of Unfound the person who has been on Unfound uh, more than anybody else except for myself, of course, Anthony from Crime Blogger 1983. Uh, Anthony, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm Good. Glad to be here again. Yeah, um, it's been a year for you. Uh, your work has uh, gotten uh, recognized internationally. Of course, you have an international blog anyway, but on TV, a new medium maybe for you. And see, we certainly want to talk about that a little bit uh, later uh, in this interview because I'm sure very everybody's very interested in the work that you did on a, a murder that unfortunately is still unsolved. But it's been a year, um, and we'll talk about your stardom later. So today, though, we're... Yeah, um... We're talking about the dif- disappearance of Beatrice Viela. Um, how did you come across this? Uh, you know, I, you know, it's always interesting to me to hear about the process that somebody else uses. We've talked about it with you before, but let's talk about it again. Your process. How did you pick out Beatrice's disappearance? How did what in, went into that? What went into that? Uh, I, I was looking for uh, another case in uh, San Antonio that may have been related. I just looked at, like, uh, we covered uh, Princess's case. Right. In a previous episode. Yes, we did. I was looking looking for possible cases that might be related to her case, and I came across Phoebe's, which it's not related to her case, but Mm -hmm. I noticed that uh, there was nothing really on Phoebe's case at all. So Mm -hmm. it's one of those ones that I put aside and wanted to look into. Huh. All right, so it was just as simple as that. As we know, there's many, many disappearances out there, but uh, this is another Texas case, just like uh, Princess's was. Another, uh, I guess, Hispanic woman. Uh, is that just a coincidence or, or what? Yeah, I was looking for, um, like I said, I looked for a connection, and um, that's probably what happened. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I just came across this one, and they didn't get any attention. And uh, yeah. those are the ones I really like. I like to be able to dig into those ones. Right. Okay. Um, just to give maybe the listeners an idea, how many, uh, you know, I know that, um, you know, you're fairly particular about what you write about for your blog. How many cases would you say you go through before you decide on one to write? I guess the, the, the question is, what is the ratio between ones you examine and then the ones you actually work on. What would you say that is? Uh, I don't know if there's a, 
can't come up with a number, but I know that there there's a lot of cases that I know very, very well that I continue to look into that I haven't wrote about. Mm-hmm. And that's usually because the writing thing is kind of, um, it's becoming more difficult just because of the time yeah. uh, it takes to to actually write it out. So Right. But there's, um, there's a lot of cases that uh, I've either written up, or written up, excuse me, that mm-hmm. are in my drafts on my blog that I haven't been able to finish yet, or mm-hmm. I'm still looking to. I never look at just one case at a time. I have dozens, Many. unfortunately, which is good and bad. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. So, um, and how many, just, you, of course, uh, this is a question you don't know you're going to get, but maybe you can just uh, guess. How many uh, cases do you have on your blog now, approximately? Probably around 55, I think. About 55. Okay. And how long have you been doing that? As long as you've been doing this, we started around the same time, so uh, okay. 2016, I think it was okay. All right. So in about five years, 55 cases, so about 10 years, almost one a month then. Yeah, usually um, it's a continuing process too. I don't write and then right. stop investigating the case. I continue to look up on it, so it's, it's very time-consuming. Okay. Yeah, and we have to remember that um, unlike myself, it does full-time all, you know, full-time. You have a job that you do full-time, so this is something you have to, and, you're, and you are a, a father and everything else. So this is something you just have to find the time to do when you can. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, very good. All right, let's move on a little bit. Now, I, I know in reading the uh, entry uh, about Beatrice's disappearance, this was something you wrote about, though, in 2019. Um, but you had said in the blog that you had not spoken uh, before publishing the blog t- uh, to Beatrice's family. That was written in 2019. Has that changed since 2019 or not? Uh, not much. I spoke to a nephew of hers, uh, but he did. He wasn't alive at the time she went missing. And oh. I have sent direct messages to the three sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've commented on the Facebook timeline on all of theirs, and yeah. they were not uh, interested in speaking with me. They're not that they said that, but mm-hmm. uh, they didn't respond to me. So Right. Uh, how... Yeah, how common would you say that is in your work you've been doing for these five years? How common is that when you try to reach out to a family and they don't respond? Uh, usually I can get a rapport going with them, even if they mm. don't want to talk, uh, as long as I let them know, hey, um, I'm, I'm still going to be here, still looking into this. If you if you want to speak to me, that's fine. If not, I completely understand. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a few times where, such as this case, and... Uh, I spoke to you about another one that I profiled, Reed Jepson's case, yeah. where if the family completely ignores me or they're, or they're completely against me even profiling it, mm. there's usually a reason for that. Right. And uh, I can usually dig in and find out why. Right. And you were just telling me before we started this interview, you might have found a reason why they've ignored you? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. One of the sisters is married into... Um, the family of the person I think is responsible for Bibi's disappearance. Wow. Okay. Now, we should have, though, understand, though, you talked to this nephew who wasn't even born in 1980, which makes it a little difficult to, uh, you know, get any information from somebody like that. But you did get the police files for Beatrice's disappearance. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that process. Uh, how hard was that? How long did it take? 
Uh, how large was the file? What can you say? Uh, so it, uh, I can't. San Antonio PD, I don't know what, what's with them. Um, like, I haven't had good rapport with them either through um, Princess's case either. Mm. So, I don't know. But I, I, I had went to school with a girl that uh, had connections within the department and she got that for me. Actually, wow. they weren't going to release it for me. Okay, uh, and and when did when did you get the when did you get it? Is it a big file or, I mean, how helpful was it? Um, it's pretty, it's pretty helpful. Um, they redacted it. Um, yeah. But usually, when they redact files like that, it usually ends up leading me in the direction that I needed to go in to begin with. So it really mm -hmm. doesn't help. They're, if they're trying to keep information away from me, I usually find out what it is anyway. So okay. All right, so so do you think had you not had this connection that you probably wouldn't have gotten it at all? Probably not. Well, probably not. Okay, even though this disappearance is over forty years old. Yeah, a lot of the times when law enforcement doesn't want to do that and release the file, it usually means they'll say that oh, it's because it's an active investigation. Yeah. And a lot of times that's part of it, but a lot of the times I don't want anybody else to know that they haven't done anything with the case in that right. long. Either. Right. That's I, what this yeah, case is. Yeah, Anthony, I agree with you. <laughs> that is that is surely true. They'd say that they're working on it, and then you find out that you, when you do, if you happen to get the file, that there's nothing, no entries of anything being done for like the last twenty years. Uh, that is a very. Oh, I think that's. Yet. I think that's some very good insight on your part. Thank you. Well, at least you have that. You know, being that you got interested in Beatrice's uh, disappearance. You know, of course, we know a lot of times people don't get anything. So at least you had that to work on. So let's, uh, and of course, I'm sure some of that information is going to talk uh, come up uh, as we proceed here. Um, let's just talk a little bit about Beatrice. Uh, her nickname was BB, the letters BB twice, uh, BB. But um, what can you tell the listeners a little bit about her, her age, where she lived, her family, uh, you know, any children, anything like that? What what do what does the the public need to know? Uh, Bibi was 19 years old at the time she disappeared in on September 28, 1980. She came from a good sized family. She had three sisters and one brother, and uh, she was a she was a graduate of a school in San Antonio, a beauty school. Mm -hmm. um, and she was also a manager at a, a beauty salon in in San Antonio as well. Um, mm -hmm. She was a very social, uh, seemed like she's kind of uh, a real social person, real good-looking young lady. Yeah. And she seemed to work very hard, too, so. Right. Yeah, and we have to remember, she was very young. Uh, even though you just said, you know, she went to school and she was doing this, doing that, she was like only 18 or 19 years old when she went missing. That was it. She was 19, yeah. 19. Okay. And was she, uh, we'll get into specifics uh, a little bit later, but... Was she living at home still? I mean, was she originally from the San Antonio area? Were her, you know, family members around that area? Yeah, um, her father, her parents were uh, in the San Antonio area. She was from San Antonio. I believe she was born mm -hmm. there. Um, mm -hmm. And some of her sisters, uh, one of the sisters, Thelma Frias, um, who she was supposed to visit at some point, um, mm -hmm. Uh, near the time that she went missing, was living in Chicago at the time, but okay. she was also from North San Antonio as well too. So 
Okay, so she had, even though she was young, uh, had her family close, had the support system there, but she was living by herself. Yeah, she was living in a condominium at the time. Okay. Now let's, uh, you already mentioned him, uh, this guy, Oscar Lozano. Um, now you told me not long before we started this, uh, interview that he is deceased now. That's right. Yeah. He died in 2008. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, as we can, as we continue with this, the listeners, I think should know that. So I think I also, that means I think we can talk a little more freely about him. Um, what was the relationship between Oscar Lozano and, uh, Beatrice there in the late seventies into 1980? Apparently she met him socially. Um, I'm assuming since she was the uh, younger sister of the four sisters, and uh, Thelma Frias uh, seems to be married into Lozano's family. Um, I'm assuming she may have met him at like a social function, maybe a family function. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, he ended up giving her a job at one of his beauty salons in San Antonio. She ended up becoming a manager of that. And he also seemed to take care of her. Uh, he was a married man. He was 37 at the time, around 37 wow. at the time that uh, they met. But he was already married with kids. Mm-hmm. And it seems that they may have had um, a unique relationship, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of seems to be the kind of guy that uh, maybe... That um, seemed kind of like a slime ball to me. Okay. Uh, he, he seems to be one of those guys that wants to impress a young woman because he probably couldn't impress a woman of his age group. So mm. since he was a businessman in the area, he okay. could find a lot of cash and try to impress a young, uh, pretty girl like Bibi. Mm-hmm. Now I, I have it in quotes here. Of course, all the listeners know that I do use outlines to do these uh, interviews with everybody. But I, I think I have this in quotes that, that Oscar and Beatrice had known each other in, for several years. Is that true? How could that be if she was only... You know, nineteen years old. Did she, was he like a friend of the family or, or something? Or do you know? Yeah, like I said, Thelma is married into Lozano's family. I don't know exactly know when she did, but I'm assuming that mm-hmm. um, they were acquainted that way or, or in some other way socially. Um, okay. And they they had a like I said they had a unique relationship, just called mm-hmm. relationship on the side. I would assume. Mm-hmm. And um, it probably. It was probably, um, she probably was involved with him before she was 18. Okay. And, uh, of course, at the time, people didn't mm-hmm. look at it as badly as they do now, which yeah. doesn't, doesn't make it right, but mm-hmm. it was a little different then. Okay. Uh, would you say then, I mean, to just use a word, is it possible that Beatrice was like his mistress? The woman I on the side? So, yeah. Something like that? Something like that. Yeah, I don't think okay. that um, they were exclusive or anything. Mm-hmm. But I think he ended up um, trying to control her. I think he may have had feelings for her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she may not have reciprocated the same type of feelings. Okay. Uh, this uh, And I know you, uh, as well as anybody who's ever been on the program, know how to look these things up. Oscar, uh, criminal record. Of course, he's deceased now. But anything before she went missing... Uh, after she went missing, the eighties into the nineties, uh, ever ever to ever able to find any um, criminal charges against him in Texas or anywhere else? None that I could find. No. Wow. Okay, that is interesting. Then, 
Um, do you happen to know, being that he was married at the time of her disappearance, do you know if Oscar and his wife continued to be married until he died in the 2000s? It, it, would, it would seem that he was with the same, uh, married to the same woman the entire time, yeah. Wow. Okay. Thank you. All right, great. All right, let's move on to a few things. Of course, you've mentioned uh, maybe he was trying to impress her, and these items are going to come up regarding her actual disappearance, but uh, I just have this uh, in the outline as stuff. Uh, she, he had given her some gifts. What were they? Um, did Beatrice show them off? What were some of the things that he tried to impress her with? Well, for one, the condominium that she was living in in San Antonio was his condominium. Hmm. So um, she lived there, and he uh, apparently, I mean, to my knowledge, she wasn't paying anything. That was just hmm. an arrangement that he had with her. Okay. She also uh, left her with a good chunk of money that he claimed she was uh, keeping for him, which ranged hmm. around $4,000 to $5,000. Huh. And he seemed to... Um, buy her a lot of expensive gifts like gold chains, bracelets, and, and a, roll, a couple of Rolexes um, that she did show off a lot. Okay. And like I said, he owned the beauty salon she worked at. She was the manager there, so mm -hmm. he seemed to take care of her. Okay. Uh, granted, I know that you haven't gotten a, uh, been able to speak to her family, but any of the, the work that you've done ever get a feel for how her family felt all of, uh, about this? Any quotes in any articles, for example, written about her disappearance where her family, uh, you know, speaks in a negative way about Oscar or anything like that that you found? Did they... None at all. No, they haven't. They don't mention him ever. Ever. Um, the only way I found out about him is through the, the redacted file that I was able to get a hold of. Okay. Otherwise, um, you wouldn't, uh, mm -hmm. by going just based on what was online and what's been written, yeah. you wouldn't know anything about him. Okay. Okay, so what you're saying is even when you uh, found out about her disappearance, got interested in it, you didn't know about Oscar until you got that file. Mm -hmm. no, okay, very good. Okay, that is that is very interesting to me. Okay, so he is uh, kind of, uh, you know, giving her this stuff, even though he's married. Uh, is it clear to you, and once again, looking at the file, if her, if his wife knew about her, do you have a feel for that at all? Once again, you have a lot of experience in disappearances. Any feel for that, whether his wife knew or not? Uh, I wouldn't know. I would assume she probably had an idea, mm -hmm. but I, I don't have nothing to base that on. Okay, and so this condo, he had owned it, uh, and she's living in it. Any idea how long she had been living there before she went missing? For around a year. For about a year. Okay, so... He kind of moved her in there. He's giving her this stuff, but she's still living on her own there in his place. Okay. But at some point, um, just in general, if anybody were to look this up, there is this idea that at some point they had a falling out. Uh, what was this falling out? Why did it happen? Because this is when we, you know, all this stuff about the, these gifts and everything kind of pop up again. What, what was the falling out? And he took the, the stuff back. What do you know about that? Well, um, like I said earlier, I think uh, he may have had um, a little bit more of an attachment to her than she had to him. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, I'm not saying or trying to impute on her character at all. She was, I think she was, um, 
she had a few uh, different quote-unquote boyfriends that she, she dated around. Um, not saying that she got around, but she's a pretty young girl. So mm-hmm. um, when you when you look like that, you can get a lot of uh, a lot of attention, and there's nothing yes. wrong with that. But uh, he seemed to get jealous pretty easily. Um, I think that the arrangement was um, since he was married. Um, mm-hmm. They may have just been a side thing. He hired her in, at, you know, as a manager of his salon and so on. But when mm-hmm. he found out about certain people that she dated, like mm-hmm. she dated this uh, Navy guy named Joel Sotelo, I guess when he found out about that, he kind of uh, exploded and he fired her from the salon and took all their gifts back. And uh, huh. not long after, they reconciled, I guess, and he gave them all back mm-hmm. and he rehired her. So. Okay. Uh, it, do, it seemed to be kind of a rocky kind of a relationship. Okay. Uh, do you know uh, regarding this blob being that the, the you know uh, she gave these gifts back, or maybe he just took them back? Did she continue to live in the condo, or did she go back to living with her family? Do we know anything about that? Uh, I'm not sure. It doesn't mention anything about in the redacted file. I, I would assume she still was living at the condo. Okay. Um, I think he. This may have been something he may have been prone to doing when he mm. found out that she may have been dating somebody. He may have exploded, yeah. and it may have been something that happened multiple times. Right. Sure. Excellent. That's probably a very good point, too. That Just because this happened, the time that we know about before she went missing does not mean that was the only time. Right. Yeah, but, you know, and uh, a guy doing this, it would not surprise either of us. We're both adults here. It would not surprise us that surprised us if he threw these tantrums more than once because of who he was and who she was. Exactly. Okay. All right. So they have um, a falling out, but they patch things up. She goes back to working for him. She continues to live in this condo. She gets this stuff back, uh, seemingly. Uh, But do you even know how long this period was? This particular last, I guess, you know down period, uh, how long it lasted, uh, just a few days, a week, Any anything about that all? Uh, it's not sure. You can kind of mm-hmm. uh, get an idea based upon the record file, mm-hmm. but it, I, I don't know, probably a few days. I'm not even mm-hmm. sure how close it was in terms of mm-hmm. the, uh, between that and the disappearance date. It doesn't give you exact dates of when this happened, it's just prior incident. Okay, very good. Uh, this other guy that you've mentioned, uh, have you looked him up? Have you tried to contact him to talk to him about Beatrice? Is he still alive? Do we even, any, any of that? Do we know any about any of that? Yeah, since my cases are, like I said, I'm constantly working on them. Yeah, um, sure. I, mean, I get leads on them, new ones all the time. But yeah. Tello is still alive, mm-hmm. um, but I have not been able to get a hold of him, but I haven't had the time to do it either. Yeah, so. yeah you're busy. But, uh, as far as I know, he's still alive and he's a former Navy guy and he seems like a pretty good dude based upon what okay. I've read about it. Okay. About well, we, I'm sure myself and the listeners would like to hear of one of these days. Once again, I know you're a busy guy. you got a lot of things going on. But should you ever get to talk to him, I, I, I think everybody would be interested to hear what he has to say, what, you know, he thought back in 1980 about exactly, all of this. Yeah. Of course... You know, 1980, maybe he's uh, 20 years old, 21, 22 at the time or something. You know, he'd be uh, close to 60 years old now. So, um, moreover. Yeah, so, yeah, he probably has a very good uh, perspective now, 40 years later. Okay. One more thing um, that uh, I know in your blog that you've written about it that 
uh, that she planned at some point, but she disappeared first, to go to Chicago. You've already mentioned that she had a sister who uh, lived there. And in fact, Oscar bought the tickets. What what was this going to be? Why was she going to go there? What Was it some sort of vacation or for work or what was it? Actually, um, he, he might have brought, the, brought those tickets. I'm not sure. I couldn't ever verify that. Mm-hmm. Thelma, the one that went to Chicago, could have bought them too. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Okay. But she did plan on going to Chicago to visit her sister and possibly move there. Uh, she was possibly, um, I heard she was going to a some kind of conference, uh, a beauty salon, a conference, something like that. Mm-hmm. And she was looking to possibly um, start a business there in Chicago. But uh, okay. the tickets that uh, she received was never cashed in or refunded or anything. They were never mm-hmm. used. Right, and we have to remember, I guess, Anthony, we have to put this in 1980 terms. These were back in the days when people actually got paper tickets. You know, they, the, the, yeah. the tickets got mailed to them. It's not like, of course, day, today where you can get on a plane just with your phone and they scan something. So somebody would have actually bought paper tickets and she, they would have been mailed and, and she would have gotten them that way. All right, so we're not, uh, but we're not sure who got them for her. But your belief is she was going to there, maybe with the possibility of moving from Texas to Illinois. That sounds like it. Yeah, I think she okay. was trying to put some distance between her and Oscar. I think that uh, mm-hmm. she realized that uh, it was not a healthy thing to do. Yeah, uh, pretty much any longer. Okay. Now, what do we know? What is the timeline of events? On that day that she disappeared, the accepted uh, disappearance date, 41 years later, September 28th of 1980. What do you know about uh, Beatrice's movements that day? Well, it's all based upon what Lozano says happened. He claims that uh, around in the morning at some point, there's no exact time, that she was supposed to help him transfer some beauty supplies from one place to another, which... She'd be unloading them at the uh, beauty salon. Mm-hmm. He claims that um, she assisted him in that, and that was the last time that he saw her, or that anybody saw her. Later that day, she was supposed to pick up her uh, niece and nephew from her sister's, uh, mm-hmm. Mary Helen Coronado, and spend some time with them, and she never ended up uh, showing up. Never showed up. And, right. Mm-hmm. Lozano's the last person to have uh, seen B.B. Okay. Um, is there any proof, once again, being that you've had the files, you've had a chance to look over them and the research that you've done, um, is there any proof that they went to, like, this salon place? Did anybody see them two, those two together? Um, if they were supposed to take things to the salon, was anybody else working that day, or was this, like, a Sunday or something when the thing was closed? Did anybody uh, come forward to verify that they saw Oscar and Beatrice together that day? Anything? Not to my knowledge, no. No. no I can't verify if the, mm-hmm. if the salon was open at the time or, okay. or not. So. Okay. Um, but if you read the police file, yeah. I would assume if somebody else saw them, uh, they would be mentioned in there somewhere, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's not mentioned that anybody saw her. So it very well could be that none of that happened. Okay, and just to, as an example, it very well could be, as you know, although um, when I have per- people like yourself on the program, I think uh, I the tolerances are not as tight when it comes to theorizing, 
But it very well could be, if we were to think that Oscar did something to her, it very well could be that this disappearance happened maybe the night before. Possible. Possible, yeah. Okay. Especially since she lived alone in a condominium. She didn't live with anybody. Yeah. Um, And uh, she was supposed to be at work the following day. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had a cousin that worked at the salon with her. Mm-hmm. And they had called the family saying that she had not came into work I'm and they were worried that. about her. Okay. Um, did she own a car? Uh, if she didn't end up there and she went missing, um, you know, what what about her car? I know that's uh, something we'll talk about eventually, but uh, was her car, like, at her condo? Was the car, uh, where was it found? The car was found um, some some weeks later at a yeah. uh, at an apartment complex mm-hmm. um, it's the village Bordeaux apartment complex it was found on the 9th of November wow so it was over a month wow. later okay and we'll come back to, and we'll certainly come back to that so at the time in, at the end of September not only was she missing her car was missing correct yeah but, it wasn't her car it was actually in the name of Thelma Frias, the one she was going to be visiting in Chicago, oh. was actually her car. Okay. But she was letting BB use it. Okay. Uh, thank you for that clarification. So the car that she was using uh, disappeared with her, and that was a mystery as well until it was found a, uh, a month and a half later, roughly. Right. Okay. Um, who uh, eventually uh, filed the report? Uh, the ne- Was it the next day or the day after? Who filed it? Um, and, and I guess it was the San Antonio Police Department that got it? Right, yeah, it was, um, it, there's a lot of different dates on the paperwork that I was given. The earliest uh, date mm-hmm. filed for that was the 30th of September, so it was two days, roughly two days after she disappeared, mm-hmm. and that was filed by her sister, Thelma. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Thelma was the one that lived in Chicago. Huh. It's weird that the, the person who lived in Illinois was the one that filed the missing persons report. Any uh, insight into that at all of why it was that person, that family member, not somebody that lived in San Antonio? Any ideas? Well, that's what it said on the reports, but if you watch uh, some of the news reports from San Antonio, Thelma mm-hmm. and the sisters talk about her dad, Bibi's dad calling, and San Antonio police not making a big deal about it because she was 19 mm. at the time and they didn't yeah. want to think it was a missing persons case. Right. So uh, I think her dad did try his best as he could. He was pretty furious. Um, he since passed away, but um, mm. he was trying to plead with them to take it seriously and, and mm. apparently they did not. Okay. But the official record of uh, police report filed is filed by her sister, Thelma. Okay. All right, so that the, reports gets, the report gets filed. The police get involved, although it does sound like you said, it seems like they tried to blow it off right at the beginning when her father uh, tried to do something. Um, did they go to the condo? Anything unusual there? Uh, we'll get to actually her stuff and it being missing, but the condo itself, any signs of violence in there? Uh, door kicked in? Uh, anything of any... Um, any, any any evidence of any value found there, according to everything that you've looked into? None whatsoever. There's no um, scene of um, any kind of forced entry, no, no blood or anything like that. Everything seemed mm-hmm. to be, 
her personal belongings seemed to be there, although the gifts that she was given by Oscar were not there. Mm. So those were gone, but um, the car was not there. Like I said, it was found, mm-hmm. um, you know, at, at another apartment yeah. complex, yeah. Um, which was roughly seven miles south of um, huh. her condominium. Okay. And what was the name of that? I know you've already said it, but what is the name of that complex uh, again? The Bordeaux Apartment Complex. It's, it's, it's not really a complex. It looked like, I think it looked just like, a, well, I guess it could be. Um, mm-hmm. A bunch of little apartment complex, little houses. That's what okay. it looked like to me. All right. Uh, in once again, I, I know you're probably not a San Antonio, Texas expert, but was this, uh, where car was found? Was it near the beauty school? Was it near the salon? Was it near where Oscar lived, uh, near any of those locations at all? Um, like I said, uh, I think I actually told you wrong. The, it was actually about 13 to 14 miles south of oh, the actual okay. uh, salon that she worked at. Okay. And the uh, Lozano lived about seven miles west of the salon, mm-hmm. which would be about... Uh, Seven eight miles away from the Villa Bordeaux apartment. Okay, complex, so, so not so not close at all. Not close, no. Okay, any connection that you've been able to see, uh, once again in working on it and then publishing it, and since then, any connection that you can see between, you know, let's just say Oscar and that that a part of town, anything that he might have had another if he was owner of beauty salons, plural, anything like that. No, but um, mm. the car, when it was found at the Villa Bordeaux apartment complex, yeah. it was parked in a spot that uh, would normally have been um, the spot for a person that lived there. And the person that lived there was an exchange student from India that didn't own a car. Huh. So the parking spot that it was placed in was their parking spot, but since they didn't own a car, they didn't really pay attention. Um, so yeah. it looked like it had been there for a while there. Huh. Someone either got real lucky in parking it there or they knew, they knew. that parking would have been open. That's very right. Right. It's, you know, this is one of those things that fascinates us about disappearances, right, Anthony? Something like that. Did oh, the yeah. person, was it just luck or did somebody actually know something and knew it to park it there and then know it would just kind of blend in, right? It's just. Right. Those are the kind of things that keep us up at night. So it's in this complex. It just happens to be a parked in a place where somebody would not use that parking place. Unlike, for example, I live in a condo building and there is no assigned parking. Um, okay. Anything unusual uh, about the car? Uh, damaged, out of gas? You know, did they do any forensics on it? Uh, you know, and maybe I should ask you this. Who found it? They don't say, which is interesting. They don't say who reported it missing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't reported the car missing, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But they don't re- say in the report who found the actual car. But she did have some um, links to that apartment complex. Um, she was reported seen there, uh, at least on one occasion, in the hallway by one of the managers of the building. Huh. They said that they recognized her when they showed the picture of her there, and she had been there probably a few weeks prior to her disappearance, but they don't know who she was seeing, uh, who she would have been seeing there. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, 
a couple people that they had actually showed the picture, her picture too, and they said that they uh, did not recognize her. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think she probably knew somebody at that complex, and that was you do. probably knew that she knew somebody at the complex. But okay. uh, there's uh, nothing else related to that. I think that that car was planted there intentionally. Okay, so as best as you can tell, your opinion is that maybe then that apartment complex was not picked necessarily randomly. Mm-mm. No, it wasn't. Okay. It, was, it was done intentionally, I think, Okay. in my opinion. All right, so, you, so what you're also saying is this person who says, oh, yeah, I saw Beatrice here once or twice, you actually believe that eyewitness person. You, you, you find that to be fairly credible. I do. I think that, yeah, I think it's credible. Okay, very good. All right, so the car is there. Um, Obviously, it did not lead anywhere because his disappearance is still unsolved 41 years later, and we know even to this day how sometimes cars and, you know, doing any forensics on them is kind of blown off in disappearance cases. All right, but the car was found, but like you said, it took like a month and a half. Yeah, they did do forensics on the car. Oh, they did. Okay. Uh, they, they did, but um, they didn't find anything, and they released it to Thelma not that long after. Okay. Uh, do you, looking at the paperwork, is it your impression that they thought that the car had been there since pretty much the day she went missing, or was it like it didn't appear there until, like, mid-October? Can you even tell? There's probably, I think that it was probably there based upon how you read the report, mm-hmm. and how it's stated. I think it was probably there the entire time. Okay. So uh, the report gets filed, her car is also missing, and then somebody comes across her car uh, somehow, you know, just randomly. I guess what you're also saying is this uh, student, whoever he was, he wasn't the one who called it in to say, hey, somebody's in my parking spot. It was actually somebody else who found the car. It probably was, yeah. It probably was somebody else. Somebody else. Uh, exchange student didn't own a car or vehicle, mm-hmm. so they weren't paying attention. I mean, it could have been them, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that it was. Don't you think I'm it was? Sure. Okay. Now, these uh, tickets, we know that you never did end up going to Chicago. Uh, did anybody ever, uh, to your knowledge, attempt to refund them? Did, did anybody else try to use them? Nothing. No, they were never refunded, and they were never used either. Okay, so when that plane took off, whenever a date it was... Her seat was empty. No. Yeah, her seat was definitely empty. Okay. Uh, I know we've already uh, just uh, t- talked this, but I uh, talked about this, but I just want to be clear on this. Really, we're just going, uh, regarding the circumstances, the timeline of that day, we're only going by Oscar's word. There are no other right. scientific facts or other people's um, stories to go about what happened that day. We're, to this day, anything that we read generally about what allegedly happened that day comes from Oscar. Right. Okay. Do you get an idea in the paperwork that you've seen um, that uh, the police found his story to be believable? Is there anything in there that you seem that could maybe contradict what he says happened that day and them meeting any, any, anything at all? I, don't, I can't get a feel on what law enforcement may have thought about the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they asked him to take a polygraph test, and he at first he said he would do it, mm-hmm. but then he wanted to um, record it, audio record it, and they told him he couldn't do it, so he backed out. 
Mm-hmm. But in terms of um, any idea about law enforcement, I, I, it doesn't say one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing in there, for example. And once again, I don't have a ton of FOIA experience getting this, but certainly within the last couple months with me filing this FOIA down in Monroe County, Florida, and getting 600 pages for a disappearance that we still have yet to cover on the program, I certainly got a good education there. So, uh, And you're right. A lot of times um, they're not going to voice their uh, opinions uh, in any of the paperwork that you're going to get. And even so, maybe it was that, that was part of the redacted part uh, in your file. Um, but there's nothing and nobody they talked to that they wrote down in any report that would contradict what Oscar said that day. Well, he tended to try to point, he did do a couple things. He did try mm-hmm. to tend to throw some names in mm-hmm. to, uh, have just some suspicion on their character. Uh, like, mm-hmm. um, there's a couple people that he, to, um, like a local, uh, a guy that worked at a uh, a bar that his his family owned. He he mm-hmm. threw his name in there. And he did. He claimed he never knew who, uh, never was familiar with Beatrice. He couldn't even pick a picture out. Um, mm-hmm. So he tended to cast blame and aspersions on other people mm-hmm. that he uh, thought okay. may have had something to do with the disappearance. Yeah, he did do that. And the people that uh, they questioned, um, there was nothing um, that law enforcement could tie to them. So that was kind of weird. Um, Okay. Yeah, anybody, uh, being that she lived in this condo, of course, that it was his, uh, any, um, anything, any information you were able to gather, did they talk to, like, neighbors and see if the neighbors heard anything or saw Oscar over there? Anything like that in any of the paperwork? Any statements? No, nothing like that, no. Okay. All right. Now, um, so he was casting aspersions on other people, pointing the finger at other people. So I guess that, in a way, offering his own theory that that somebody else uh, caused this. As we've already stated, you looked into it and could not find any criminal record that he had, either before or after uh, 1980. And he's been dead for a while, so you haven't, you know, haven't even been able to, of course, wouldn't have been able to talk to him about this. Uh, is there any record that what you've heard, of course you did get to talk to that one family member, uh, usually as you know, these men who, you know, whether the, you know have a mistress or cheating on their wives, if one woman moves on, they usually get another one. Any record of that, did, um, that, did Oscar maybe find another young uh, lady after uh, BB went missing? Any ideas? Uh-huh. With people that do that, there's usually a pattern, so there probably was, mm-hmm. but I uh, wasn't able to track any of them down, or, or they didn't mm-hmm. see any of the files about it. Okay. All right, so he has his story. It doesn't sound like the police were able to, able, able to ever break that story, although the story does kind sound kind of vague, although he does mention you know, a couple different locations. But you'd mentioned before about this Joel Sotelo, uh, this other guy who is still around, um, what I found odd in reading your account uh, of Beatrice's disappearance is that Joel admitted, maybe to the police or somebody else, that um, that she, he broke up with her when she got fired from that job. I guess when Oscar found out about Joel or whoever else, you know, there was this parting of ways, that Joel actually decided to distance himself from Beatrice. Any uh, insight into that? Because in your own article, he said, on the other hand, that he said he loved B.B. 
Any insight into that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, when you read it, it can it come across as him saying that, um, you know, he broke up with her because she got fired and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I think if you read into it and look at the actual um, phrasing, I think he may have been trying to save the save her dignity a little bit. Maybe she had told him that it was over or maybe it was a mutual thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he um, just said, hey, I broke up with her because, you uh, know, I mean, he might, he might well have been uh, a guy that would do that. I mm-hmm. mean, he may have loved her enough to where he didn't want to cause any more problems in her life. But yeah. It, it, from the way I read it, it could have been a mutual thing or she could have mm-hmm. said, hey, we can't continue. Or she may have just um, told Oscar that and they may have continued. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you get uh, did you get a feeling that the police checked out Joel Sotelo at all? Yeah, they did. They and they also looked into the people that um, Oscar, the names mm-hmm. Oscar gave, and they they mm-hmm. seemed to early on. I mean, as of the past, you know, forty plus years, they haven't done anything on the case. But yeah. at the time when it was initially reported and stuff, they did vet everybody. Um, mm-hmm. the, the name that may have come across that she may have been associated with. They did a good job in that area. Okay. Um, so they did. They did look into those people that he said, but um, nothing was ever ever came of it, really. Okay. Um, being that you have the file, what is the newest uh, piece of paperwork in that file? Of course, everything usually when they do this work is dated. What is the newest piece of paperwork in the file when you when you got it? Uh, sometime in 1982, if I remember correctly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, this is see, listeners. This is what I mean when you know people. You know, they say, "Well, it's an ongoing investigation." It's not an ongoing investigation in Beatrice's case because Anthony has the paperwork, and it's since 1982. There's not one piece of information yeah. in there since 1982. You know, at least I can say with this FOIA that I did down here in Monroe County that although the disappearance happened in 1993, I could find paperwork in the FOIA that that was as late as like 2014 or something like that. So. That's pretty good. Too. That that is, I I agree with you, Hensi. I was nobody was more startled than myself and this uh, this girl's uh, mother and sister when they found out about all this. So yeah, um, you're right, and you like to see that even though it's still unsolved. But in Beatrice is, you know, it's kind of sad. You, you know, it's just yeah, frankly kind of sad. Police department. Uh, I don't know if they have a really good track record, especially when I looked into. The- Princess's case. Mm. Um, well, I tried to submit a, a tip for Princess's case myself. The, the person that took the tip acted like they had something better to do, but they was just wasting their time. So, yeah. um, I'm sure there are good people in the police department, but uh, I don't know. Mm. Uh, there's probably a lot more uh, people that are just lazy about mm. it than the people that actually do the work. I mean. I'd say that, but mm-hmm. you know, anytime they say that you know this is an active investigation, it's kind of like when you hear a news reporter on the news saying a, a named source in a such and such administration. Anytime yeah. they say that, you know, they just made it up. Okay. Yes. Yes. But, yeah. Uh, I should ask you, being that Oscar is no longer with us and has not been around, uh, I guess, for about fifteen years or something now, have you entertained the idea of contacting if his wife is still alive? Contacting her somehow, just calling her up. You know, have you thought yeah, about that or that's what? A possibility. I would. I would contact anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not really shy about that. I know you're not. That, that may be in 
involved. I know uh, you are not. Too, so. Yes, shy is certainly not uh, part of your character, Anthony. That is totally true. That is totally true. So that that is something. Once again, you get more time. I know you're a busy guy. That would be something that you would consider doing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. So we have this disappearance. Uh, it it kind of does sound like uh, a mistress type of situation, uh, kind of gone wrong. Um, uh, it sounds very similar to a disappearance that we've covered a couple uh, months ago, Brenda Sika, but. Brenda uh, was a lot older, and she had some other issues with drugs and things going on, but she was also kind of a mistress, uh, kind of the same situation. So it reminds me a little bit uh, uh, of that. So that is um, Beatrice's disappearance. And, of course, if you do, Anthony, you know you can call me or email me, message me anytime. But certainly if you get to talk to Joel or uh, you know Oscar's wife or widow, I guess you'd call her, or some of Beach's family members. I certainly like to, you know, know about it, so you know we can update, you know, the listeners. You know, should you get back Absolutely. to it at some time. All right, so let's move on to this. We're now going to talk about a another case, although it is not a disappearance. But you certainly, uh, your work and yourself, have certainly gotten some nice attention for the. Um, the work uh, that you did on the murder of Dorothy Scott. Uh, so we're going to move on to that now. Let's talk a little about that. Um, let's just, for the listeners, give the general facts about uh, Dorothy Scott. What went on that night? How did you first hear about uh, this particular case? Let's talk a little bit about that because that's going to eventually lead to uh, you being on TV uh, this year about it, you know, just tell them a little bit about Dorothy Scott. Well, Dorothy Jean Scott was abducted and murdered in 1980, May 29th, 1980. Okay. Uh, May 29th, 1980, she was a mother, single mother that worked for a, um, uh, as a psychedelic shop um, that dealt with, um, that kind of a crowd, um, mm -hmm. kind of a, a drug crowd. Okay. Um, but she wasn't, uh, she wasn't into anything like that. She was the bookkeeper for the store. She ended up going missing after she took a friend to the hospital, uh, that night. Hmm. Um, and her body was found buried, um, off a remote Canyon road around two years afterwards. And her murder oh. was still unsolved. Um, that was one of the cases I believe, if I remember correctly, that was the first murder case I ever wrote about. And I wrote about it because it was, I had never heard of it before mm -hmm. um, at the time. The case has kind of since exploded. Yeah. Um, I yeah. contacted her son. I was the first person to contact her son. And I got, uh, at first, there was only the one grainy newspaper picture of her. And I, I, it bothered me. Because mm -hmm. pictures tell the story of the person. Yeah. So I was like, hey, can I... Uh, can I get some more pictures? And he usually um, doesn't talk to anybody. It's uh, still a very big thing to him because um, it was his mom and uh, yeah. he was really young at the time. But uh, we, we developed a rapport um, and he's actually, we're really close. Um, we talk every day. Mm -hmm. um, but he sent me the photos and, and so on and uh, it kind of just snowballed from there. And then uh, mm -hmm. last... Uh, right. We ended up filming in May, yeah. and the episode came out in uh, just 
released uh, this past October, June 28th, I believe. Let me, if I could, yeah, if I could, I'd just like to ask you a little bit more about, uh, of course, it was at least a disappearance for a couple years, and of course her body was found. If I could ask you a couple more technicalities about her disappearance, um, what what happened to this friend that she took this friend to the hospital? What what, what had happened there? Do you know? Um, well, she uh, was attending a meeting at the... Uh the shop that she worked at, and uh, mm-hmm. a friend of hers, or a co-worker named Conrad Bostrin, was looking really ill, mm-hmm. and uh, according to the reports, uh, he had suffered uh, like a black widow spider bite, but I really oh. think that it was probably an infection from a hypodermic needle that he used. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. she decided to take him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. He got checked out. They gave him some medicine, and um, she was with another lady there uh, mm-hmm. that worked with her. Her name was Pam. Uh, her name is Pam Heed. Okay. And um, she, once she was getting checked out, apparently she was with Pam the entire time in the waiting room, waiting for Boston, Boston to um, come out after getting checked out. Mm-hmm. And she said she was going to pull her car up close to the actual hospital building so that he didn't have to walk all the way out there. Yeah. Um, so they got his prescription filled at the hospital. It took really about 10 minutes. She, she still had pulled the car up. So they both walked outside, and they said that they thought what they thought was they saw what they thought was her car um, mm-hmm. pulling out of the parking lot. Lights turned on, so it kind of blinded them, and it sped off away from them. And they had never saw her again after that. Huh. And um, and then her body was found, right. you know, a couple years later. But during the whole time, um, up up in, right before right before she disappeared, was kidnapped. She was receiving calls, threatening calls from a male voice that mm-hmm. he seemed to dis- disguise his voice, mm-hmm. but he was telling him that, uh, telling her that she, when he got her alone, he was going to cut her to pieces. He got wow. a little sicko. Um, and mm-hmm. she didn't know who it was. She said she thought she would recognize the voice, but she couldn't place it. And then when she went missing, her parents started to get the same calls when she was, uh, when she was missing at the time they didn't, find the body. So okay. up until the day, like when they found the body, they still got a call, um, and they stopped mm-hmm. shortly thereafter. And, and the, mm-hmm. the case has been unsolved. They tried to put a tracer on their phone, mm-hmm. but they never were able to get a location as to where the calls were coming from or who was doing the calls. Okay. So, so, so I, I guess what you're saying here is if we are to believe that this guy who was calling her is the killer in her uh, murder then he somehow must have followed her and these other and this other person to the hospital and was like waiting out there and was just sitting out there or something. Yeah, the fact that the whole trip was spontaneous and it wasn't mm-hmm. planned, um, and there were only the people at the at the meeting would have known mm-hmm. about this unless he was just sitting out there waiting for her and following yeah. her everywhere, which he could have been. But yeah. the fact that she went to the hospital and it wasn't scheduled leads me to believe that. Uh, there's only a certain amount of people that would have known that she was going to do that. Right. So. Right, and it also raises the question, you know, if this person followed her to the hospital and was in her car driving her car, then I guess this person, I mean, if this person's working alone, then he must have left his car there or used a taxi to follow her, you know, follow that car type of situation. I mean, I know since you wrote about this in your first murder, you've probably thought about those things. What do you? What is your best guess? Yeah, somebody um, likely followed her there. They drove their car. They probably had to come back to get theirs. Mm-hmm. Cause they uh, they 
set her car on fire. Her, her car was found the next morning some um, several blocks away. Mm-hmm. It was uh, burned, and it was likely to get rid of evidence. And yeah. She was likely murdered the night she was uh, taken yeah. or abducted. Yeah. But cause they found her remains, but it was only a partial set. And um, mm-hmm. it, it's a really good case. I think I know who did it, but um, okay. interestingly enough, Interestingly enough, the guy that was, I think, that was supposed to film uh, a segment for the episode, I'm told, but when he found out I was going to be there, he didn't want to do it, so. Huh, okay. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, so what you're saying is even though her remains were not found anywhere near this hospital, her remains were not found anywhere near her car where it was burned. Right. Okay. And so conceivably... Somebody could have been waiting there. She comes out. Of course, the person wouldn't have known that she was going to come out by herself. But, um, you know, he attacks her, goes into the car, kills her, and then kind of drives back into town, tortures her car, and then could have walked back to his car, which was just, you know, right down a block from the hospital. Conceivable. It's impossible. Or he could have had somebody else helping. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Of course, that is also uh, a choice as well. So... There would be no forensics even in 1980 terms, uh, given that the car uh, was burned up. Uh, were her remains, uh, I guess they were found by accident, her remains? Yeah, it was a, um, a contractor that was laying down uh, lines for telephones. Mm, her fact, didn't yeah. lead the lines to the ground. Yeah. And he came across them that way. Okay. And then... Yeah, it was a total accident. But uh, ironically enough, the guy that owned the shop that she worked at, there was two shops that he owned. Yeah. Um, the remains were found on land that he owned. Huh. What kind of coincidence is that? Yeah, very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, you would, but, you know, it's one of those counterintuitive things. You wouldn't think that somebody would, who killed somebody would, of course, we know that's happened. Dennis Bowman with Andre Bowman. Carlos Rodriguez and Zoe Campos. So I guess it's not crazy to think that a killer would put a dead person on his own property, but this is kind of—it sounds like a little bit different situation than those. Um, well, it's uh, yeah, because the, please. The place that it was found, the remains, the partial remains are found. It had undergone some um, changes geologically. There was brush fires and stuff. Okay. And floods, and I don't believe the location that she was actually, they found the remains in was the actual original bury where she was originally disposed of. Since it was a okay. partial set of remains and, mm-hmm. and the fact that uh, that area had undergone geological changes. Okay. And where wa- and um, where was this? Just generally, where was this, uh, th- these remains? What part of California? It was Anaheim, and it was off Santa Ana Canyon Road. Okay. It's still, even when I went to visit it there, mm-hmm. um, it was still, um, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff around it. And, and mm. Back then, and there still wasn't a whole lot of stuff around it, even when I visited there. Okay. All right. All right, so then this is the first murder case that you uh, ever wrote about. Uh, when did you write about it? How long ago, Anthony? Ooh, that would have been probably the first year of my blog. So 2016, 2017, somewhere in there? Yeah, there's been updates in the entries over the years that I've been able to get more and more information, but yeah. Okay. So how did you uh, react when uh, TV came a-calling 
and contacted you. Was that a surprise or, you know, did you think it was a joke or what did you think? Uh, well, they had contacted uh, me initially to get a hold of um, the, the son, Sean. He only mm. talks to me. Um, mm. I'm, not, I'm not bragging about that. He just, he likes my mm. approaches. He then approaches to other people to, and he just doesn't like the way they approach him about it. Okay. I, I don't know. What made me different? I, I think he said, because it showed that I actually cared. I wasn't trying to just get my name out there. I actually cared mm. about the case. A lot of the other people just want to have their own agenda, I guess. Right. Yeah, we know about that. Sure. But yeah. um, they called me and asked me if, they, if I can get a hold of them, or hold of him for them, and I did. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, uh, he's usually a pretty quiet person. You have to actually ask him, um, you know, what happened, because he doesn't, um, he didn't get back with you, you to ask him. It's just his personality. Yeah. Um, and I didn't hear about it from him, but um, they called me maybe two weeks after that, and they said they wanted me to be involved. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. I was like, okay, well, I can do that. And they flew me out to Anaheim and they paid for everything and yeah. interviewed me. And I ended up being in a part of the episode. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty cool. But <laughs> uh, come to find out, he only wanted to do that. It was part of the conditions of him doing the episode he, that I had to be there. I didn't know Wow. That, which was pretty cool of him. Yeah, that is cool of him. Wow, that's that's really, that's really neat. Now, I do have to ask you, you are a person who... Um, you know, likes to protect your identity. Uh, of course, I, I, I know that I've, I, I know your last name, but I've never ever mentioned to anybody pub- publicly or privately. Of course, I only introduce you as Anthony every time you've been on the program. But you're as a person who tries to really keep his identity and his profile very low. Uh, how did it feel like being in front of the camera, everybody seeing you? Uh, you know, etc. How how did that? How did you come to the decision that you know I have to do this? Even though since I started the blog, you know, I've kind of um, you know, uh, been a little mysterious about my identity. How did how did you know what was the thought process? Well, that's more of um, the reason behind me doing that is I've actually confronted suspects yeah. face to face before. I, I so. know you have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me getting my face like recognized is not real important to me. It's just uh, mm-hmm. that's more of a uh, protection thing for my girls. Okay, um, of course. My dad, so. Yeah. But um, it was it was different. But uh, there's mm. been a couple, a number of bad people that have seen me in person, so it didn't okay. really bother me. It was different. It was definitely different though. Um, but I wasn't mm-hmm. worried about that at all, really. It okay. Was just, um, it was an experience. Definitely a different experience. Okay. Uh, are we, uh, of course, as I, uh, as I know, although I've not, you know, been on a program like that, I know that they can interview you for a long time and then only use a very small part. Um, what was your experience with that? Uh, you know, um, basically what you saw, I mean, the, um, see, the good thing about it, the, the show is Paul is on. Paul is on, and uh, sure. the crew that I worked with was a really great crew. Um, I, they made it real easy, but uh, the, most of what you saw there, I think, mm-hmm. I'm um, fumbling. When I was really nervous, but they did a good job of making me not look like it anyway. <laughs> so, um, uh-huh. uh, I think they only only didn't show one question, and I fumbled it. Okay. Um, because I was nervous, and I just blurted out something, and, I, and after I told them I did, I was like, I don't like that because that's not. Yeah. You know what I meant to say. I was just yeah. flustered, but most of what you saw on there, um, 
is what uh, what we did. And mm. oh, it okay. There was, uh, was a part <laughs> that we were walking around outside, and um, they were asking the questions, and they were kind of like doing a walkthrough, and we didn't have that part in because there was <laughs> there was a vagrant that just kept getting on my nerves. He kept asking for money. And, oh. Uh, I think they cut it out, but <laughs> I didn't. I didn't react to that. I, professionally at all so, okay but they, they didn't really seem to care okay <laughs> but, that's but, funny uh, most of what you see in the episode is what we did yeah they didn't cut out a whole lot okay quick. okay how many um so you were what hollywood uh studio city uh burbank where what area were you in what that they actually um we filmed at the hotel that they actually set up in because of the covid oh okay um, so we didn't go into the studios or something so we did mm -hmm. kind of everything there okay all right, and how many days were you out there? Uh, three. Okay. Three days. Neat. Neat. Well, that uh, that uh, probably. How did you feel about that? Um, do you think you would be? Uh, you know, sometimes it sounds like you had a good experience, but I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, would you be involved in something like that again? You know, for maybe another disappearance or murder that you've covered. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Um, it was it was a different experience. Like uh, uh -huh. going from Texas to California is like going to another planet. It was weird. Yeah. But uh, it was hustle and bustle. Everybody was busy, and that uh -huh. that area never slept. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was interesting. Okay, so you were pleased with the final product? Pretty pleased oh, yeah. with it. Yeah, and they were great, and um, okay. it was great. It's a real credit to um, that okay. show. Very professional people. All right, great. Now, you did say, though, uh, getting back to the actual murder, is that you have some insight, you know, you have an opinion on who did it, on, on what happened. Uh, do you feel comfortable voicing what you think, uh, who, who it was, and why it happened, and everything else? Can you say that here? Yeah, yeah, because he's not going to do about it. Yeah, it's the owner of that store that did it, I think. Um, I'm huh. certain he's responsible, and... Huh. Um, and he also, she did the books for his both of his stores that he owned at the time. And about ten years after she disappeared, she got indicted on federal tax evasion charges. Oh, he did. So, yeah. So there was um, there's a couple of different reasons, um, but he may have wanted her out of the way. All right, and that then would explain how he knew that she would be at the hospital and and everything else. That yeah, would then in, then the, that that just and then as you've already said, uh, her remains were found on his property. Right. Okay. Um, and I it, did not know that that was news to me, and I didn't know that until I uh, her son gave me the big uh, file, mm -hmm. and I was reading over it there. I did not know something. Okay. I was really surprised at knowing. Okay. Do you know, uh, now that you know that, uh, do you know if back at the time that did police look into this owner, tried to connect him to her disappearance, what turned out to be a murder? Did they attempt to do that, or, or what, what do you think? Uh, I'm trying to phrase this in a professional way. Anaheim, huh. uh, Anaheim police, um, no, let's just say no. No. I don't think that they... Uh, no, it, it, the, the mm -hmm. whole police department um, is a very unique. Okay. It's like, um, I don't know how to explain it. Let's just say that they, they care about how they look more than they care about investigating cases. Okay. 
is there anything uh, that you, when you wrote it, and then anything since, of course, talking to her son, did she ever, before she, of course, went missing and then was murdered, did she ever express anything like, you know, I kind of discovered that my boss is doing this or he's doing that and anything like that at all? The, the case come um, up. Not to my knowledge, no. Um, mm-hmm. No, but she was uh, really concerned about her safety. She was taking self-defense classes, and she thought of buying a gun. But since her son was so young at the time, she decided against it. Mm-hmm. She didn't want Tim Dexter to get a hold of it or anything. But right. uh, no, she was uh, she was worried about her the safety, her safety, and okay. so on. But uh, nothing that uh, that I that I know or have read or anything okay. that says anything. Okay, so um, even though that's your theory, it sounds like a good one to me, but of course the issue is that she's the one that went missing and was murdered and no other employee or anybody else, of course, went missing or was murdered, but may just have been because of the position that she had there, kind of looking over the books. Probably, yeah. Okay. All right. But I will say that... um, Mm-hmm. Her son does not agree with my theory. Oh, he doesn't. So, uh, no, he uh, doesn't. Okay. Uh, do you feel comfortable saying what he believes happened? He believes that uh, there was another guy that uh, the police actually interviewed, mm-hmm. and I actually had his name listed in my entry. His name was Mike Butler. Mm-hmm. He was a uh, he, he was not cat. Um, he seemed to be in love with Dorsey. Okay. And he seems to think that um, he was responsible, but I, I just, um, mm-hmm. I, I need more to entertain that theory. I'm open okay. to it. I never closed anybody off like that, but yeah, um, I just don't see that being the case. Okay. At this time, anyway. All and right. He since passed away. Oh yes. Okay. Is do you know if the owner of the store is still alive? Uh, he is. Yeah. He is. Yeah, okay. He doesn't want anything to do with me either. I'm sure he doesn't. Okay. All right, so we have a couple different possibilities there, I guess. Uh, but given the circumstances, it would seem that somebody knew that she was going to be there, unless we are to believe that she went out to the parking lot and just got carjacked, you know, just, you know, randomly, right. which, of course, as we know, does happen. Uh, where this hospital was, shady area, safe area, you know, usually... Yeah, in no shady parts of Anaheim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, the funny thing is that People that live there, they think there are bad parts of Anaheim, but mm-hmm. uh, when you have Teslas driving by and the bad parts of Anaheim, <laughs> it's really hard for me to take that seriously. Okay. All right. Good point, Anthony. Okay. Okay. I got you. So, and usually, of course, especially like in places like hospitals, you know, the parking lots are lit uh, and, and things like that. So, it just does add in another layer of uh, complexity to all of this. On top of the fact is, you know, somebody was following her. There's no way that person could have known that she would go out to her car by herself. There's no way somebody exactly. could have known that. So, you know, that's just, it is uh, a little bit of a stumper, and maybe that's why it's still unsolved 41 years later. Is this something that you view, even though you have a very negative opinion of the uh, Anaheim Police Department, is this something you think is uh, still solvable? I know we never, we hate to be negative on here, but the way you look at it, her murder now. It is, but uh, time's ticking and it's, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of time left to get the persons that are responsible. Mm-hmm. The one that I think is responsible is 
up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, age, he talks a big game, but he doesn't seem to ball. Mm-hmm. And that's another story. But he, yeah, he seems to. He's one of those tough guys, but he didn't. I guess he didn't want anything to do with me. So okay, without that. Okay, uh, was Dorothy, uh, had a boyfriend at the time? Was she married, or what was this, her status? No, she was single. She wasn't single. interested in, um, from what I understand, she wasn't interested in dating. Okay. Um, she had nobody that uh, she was seeing at all. Okay, so. so not some disgruntled ex-boyfriend, uh, something like that. No, no, the, the father... Okay. Um, Dorothy's son's real father was uh, mm-hmm. cleared of any involvement. He had okay. passed away like last year, I believe. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, as you know, Anthony, I uh, the reason you've been on the program now, I think, five times is because I, I realize you do very complete work, very honest work. Uh, your mind and your heart are certainly in the right place. And, of course, I discovered that, uh, of course, very early on, you know, going back, I guess it would be to 2017, so I feel real good that now uh, even more people outside of the unfound world in your audience for your blog and other places that you've appeared, uh, you know, the general public watching a show like Follows On, I'm glad they're now finding out about you as well. I'm, I was uh, I was very excited for you. I continue to be very excited for you about, you know, getting the proper attention for your work. So, um you know, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very happy for you. Yeah, very happy for you. And I feel the same way about you. Very, very yeah. honest work. And Thanks. We're both passionate about yeah. it, and um, and you're honest about it. You don't care about sponsors and all that. Yeah. Yeah, so. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate that, Anthony. Um, what do you got? Uh, what are you working on now? Um, you know, I, I, I happen to, I, you know, I just have to admit, it does seem like your work has slowed down a little bit, maybe once again because you're busy and, and all of these things. But, um, you know, do you know when your next blog is maybe going to be published? Um, can you, you know, talk a little bit about that or any maybe just give a couple names of uh, some disappearances or murders or whatever that you're currently working on that you think could be released in the near future? Yeah, I've got um, Ashley Standard Griffin. Um, that's a case of a, um, a young girl that went missing in uh, Orange County, California. Um, not that um, not mm-hmm. that um, far away from when Dorothy ended up being murdered. Huh. Her case is unrelated, but that's one I'm working on. Um, I've been talking to her um, her brother, her brother that was a detective. Wow. On her actual case for a long time. Huh. Um, and that's one that's been in the works. Um and there's a couple others. Um, I'm always looking to follow up with Tammy in yeah. case more. And I've been really working hard on trying to um, get some more information on Princess's uh, Princess Sarabia's disappearance. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and what? Case, so. Right, and we should say uh, when you say Tammy. On the blog. Yeah, I just want to be clear for the audience. When you say Tammy, you mean Tammy Leppert. Yeah, Tammy. Yeah, Tammy. Thank you. So. Okay. Yeah, I definitely agree. The work on the blog has, has, has the writing has slowed down, but the work hasn't slowed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I can assure you. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't you um, uh, give out the name of your blog? And and I have to admit, uh, everybody knows that I have a hard time because of how busy I am following what other people are doing, like podcasting and everything. Um, are are you doing a a podcast once in a while? You did that for a while. Are you still doing that? Um, maybe you need to talk a little bit about that too. Oh yeah, well, 
Um, podcasts are a whole different uh, a ball game for me. And uh, the one we did, I did with my partner. She, mm. she runs on South Appalachia. She's my best friend. Oh, actually. okay. That, but neither one of us are really good at the editing and the podcast thing. And, and <laughs> we are very similar in our moods to where I'll be going hardcore on work and then she'll be taking a break and then mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, so, um, it, the podcast that we did, um, she kind of did all that and okay. didn't work and I felt bad because I just can't do it. Yeah. But it didn't turn out the way I kind of wanted it to. So, um, it's a possibility we might go back to that, but as of right now, mm. we're not. Okay. Um, but we did do it a little bit. We had a couple episodes and it was different, but mm. I don't think it was our cup of tea. Okay. So you're back, I guess, primarily uh, crime blogger 1983.blogspot.com. That's your primary uh, output now. That's that's your primary. Okay, everyone, I'll just tell them. Uh, Yes, everybody has to check out Anthony's work at crimeblogger1983.blogspot.com. Do you have a Facebook page or a group or anything like that on Facebook maybe also that people should know about? Yeah, I've got uh, a Facebook page um, for my blog. It's Sherlock1983. Just put that in Facebook. I've got an Instagram mm-hmm. page. Um, I think it's um, CB1983. Um, Facebook doesn't like me because I end up... <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's yeah. surprising that you know a lot of these people, suspects in cases have Facebooks. So yes. you know, when you have that out there, I'm going to go after you. So yes. Facebook really doesn't like me because I get in trouble for bullying. So... <laughs> Every now and then they delete my uh, Facebook. I have to create a new one. Yes, so. I've noticed. I have noticed that. Yes. But, right. But, um, yeah, so Facebook's not mm. real uh, supportive of my work, but yeah. that's fine. Okay. All right, so we have the, the, the website, we got the Facebook page, and um, okay. Well, Anthony, uh, great talking to you again. Great talking to you about uh, Beatrice... Uh, Beatrice's di- disappearance and then also your experience with Dorothy's murder of course it's still unsolved as well and you getting your proper uh, attention for your work so any final words before we complete this interview no I really thank you for uh, highlighting my work and let Beyond Unfound and uh, mm-hmm. I'll see you again sometime next year I take it <laughs> yes we'll make this like a, a once a year thing If of course if something pops up some of the work uh, you get noticed again or something big happens, maybe like on one of the disappearances you've appeared uh, for Unfound Tammies or, or Galas or Princesses or whoever's. Uh, of course, we can't forget Evelyn Hartley's as well, which I've been thinking about that one quite a bit because it's very similar to the Janelle Matthews murder. You know I went out to Colorado. Very, very similar circumstances. So uh, your work is uh, was on my mind regarding Evelyn's uh, disappearance uh, over the past few months. So, of course, something happens big regarding any of those cases. You know, we'll have to talk again a lot sooner than next November. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. I love it. All right. What? Well, yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you for being on this episode of Unfound. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And that was my November 18th, 2021 interview with Anthony. From the website crimeblogger1983.blogspot.com. I thank him for appearing for the fifth time. If you're interested to know what other episodes he's appeared on, they are in order 
Tammy Leppert, Evelyn Hartley, Princess Sarabia, and Gala Shaper. Also, I made a YouTube video to diagram and explain the locations mentioned in this episode. Please go to the Unfound Podcast channel to watch it. Please note, in the video, I will correct a mistake that Anthony and I made in the interview. And that is in regards to where Beatrice's car was found. Actually, it was found very close to where she lived. As many of you know, I look upon Unfound as an education program. Yes, we bring publicity to disappearances. And we've certainly moved some investigations forward. But I also try to show why they happen. Not so much the physical reasons, but the mental and emotional ones. This is where the answer to solving and stopping them lies. I'm convinced of it. And yes, as you've probably noticed, sometimes the lessons illustrated have nothing to do with disappearances. This is certainly the situation with Beatrice's case. For all of you women out there, 19, 29, or 79, nothing good can come from spending time with and accepting stuff from a man who is already married. Nothing. You exponentially raise the chances of you disappearing. On top of that, it's immoral. Don't do it. I don't care what sob story he gives you or how poor you are or whatever other reasons come up. Don't do it. So what does that all mean for Beatrice's disappearance? It makes all the sense in the world that Oscar killed her. They already had problems. She seemingly had another guy. Beatrice planned to move away. There are problems, though. It seems Beatrice was seeing Oscar and the other guy at the same time. So how can we be sure there wasn't a third or fourth guy? Beatrice's car was parked in a space by someone who seemingly knew that assigned spot was never used. And the police couldn't connect Oscar to that apartment complex. And why would Oscar create such an elaborate alibi of being with Beatrice that day when he could have just said he didn't see her at all? Because it's clear that there is no proof they were together that day anyway, at least according to the paperwork that Anthony has. All these issues would have to be resolved to be truly sure Oscar killed Beatrice. However, I should also mention that just a few months ago, Unfound covered the disappearance of Brenda Sica, a case that has similar qualities to Beatrice's. And many of you did not think Brenda's married man, Jim, caused her disappearance. So that's a consideration. Although the mitigating factor in Brenda's could be that she certainly had more personal demons than Beatrice did. What I'm saying is, I think it shows that just because a man was keeping a woman does not necessarily mean he is keeping secrets about her disappearance. Maybe someone else 
is keeping them. I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you used to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.